You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. With that, I want to invite you to go with me to Acts chapter 8, if you will, Acts chapter 8. And if you need a Bible, um, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, raise your hand. Karen's got some Bibles. She'll bring one uh, to you. If you don't own a physical copy of the Scriptures, uh, this is your gift to you. So just raise your hand, uh, let her know, and she'll bring it to you. But Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be today as we continue in a series uh, that we've entitled Preach the Gospel. And uh, the idea behind this series is simply uh, this. I, I want to make sure that we're, we're clear on it before we actually read uh, the scripture. Um, Jesus says in his kind of final summary statement of his mission on earth is that the Son of Man, he says, has come to seek and save the lost. Uh, later on, he actually says in Luke fifteen seven, 7, um, he says, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. At another point in Jesus' ministry, he actually says in Mark 2, 17, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. Uh, here's just what I want you to, to get before we read the passage today. Um, what we're learning in this series is that Jesus's priority was and is to reach the loss. That's a top priority for him. And the problem that we're learning is that in, in the West, um, preaching the gospel, evangelism, this posture of trying to seek and save the lost, um, it's really gone by the wayside in the modern church. And, and so, you know, I think it was Barna that said 100% of Christians all say they have a responsibility to preach the gospel, but only 49% claim they actually have within the last year. So that's a 51% gap between what we say we believe and what we are actually practicing. And therefore, we believe as a church, if we're not just going to be or say that we're a Jesus church, but actually be a Jesus church, then we need to commit to Jesus's mission, which is, again, to seek and save the lost. And so with that, I want to invite you to stand. Heather is going to now uh, read from Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through verse 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, 
they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Jesus baptized Oh Nope, Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. God, thank you just for who you are, what all you've accomplished for us. Help us now to experience you as you really are, to set aside any preconceived ideas or notions of you that are not true and are not in line with your scripture. And I pray that right now through the preaching of the word that you would take this text, that you would open up our ears, our eyes, our hearts to receive everything that we need to receive. It'll be for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In September 2003, I went on academic probation at UCA. Uh, My life in many ways was beginning to unravel, to fall apart. And what's so beautiful about Jesus is that it's oftentimes in these spaces that he meets us. Um, Jesus met me in really one of the darkest places I'd ever been in my entire life. He saved me. And a couple weeks after that, um, I, I just felt this strong burden to share the gospel with other college students. I was only 21 at the time, and I knew a lot of college students had never really experienced what I had and uh, experienced in Christ. And so I wanted to start a college ministry. I didn't know anything about it, but really believed it's what God had asked me to do. And so uh, in that moment, I got on my Hotmail account, jaredap at hotmail.com, and I emailed, I think, the 150 or so contacts that were on there. And I just said, hey, I know this may sound weird, but I just gave my life to Jesus, if anybody wants to meet on a Monday or a Tuesday night and just read the Bible and pray, I would love to just come together and see what he has for us. And so I did that, and one person, Matt Sutton, responded and said, hey, I'll meet with you. Eventually, a guy named Adam Breckenridge uh, began to come around, and what started was just kind of one, grew to two, and eventually, within about a two and a half year span, there were, you know, 50 college students uh, that were part of this ministry. Uh, Heather and Andrew were able to be a part of that, and, and God did a great thing in those uh, years that we were together. And we saw people come to faith. Matt Jackson, who's a member of our church, came to faith in that ministry. Um, we saw uh, people surrender to international missions and vocational ministry. Uh, we actually together got to help run a youth camp, which is kind of humorous that some of let college students do that, but we did it. And, you know, there would be 150 plus teens that would come to this camp and some of them even had their lives changed forever. And again, God just did something really incredible and special in those few years. And all of it started with the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Um, God spoke to my heart while I was in my bedroom. He birthed a desire in me to join him in his mission that was for the sake of others. Uh, fast forward to 2012, after I finished my first year at church planning residency, uh, my wife and I, along with 15 other people who were crazy enough to kind of believe in our church planning vision, we officially launched what was then Fellowship Bible Church, it's now the Crossing Church. And this September, we'll celebrate our 10 years together as a church. And over that time, we've seen over 100 baptisms. We've planted a church in East Tennessee that's thriving and doing well. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen addicts set free, miracles performed in front of our own eyes. And, and literally, we have an impact. We realize it or not, we have an impact all over the world. And how did that happen? Well, there's a lot of reasons that that happened, but it all started in Louisville, Kentucky. 
In 2008, I'm sitting in my dorm room and I wrote these words in my journal that I am almost certain that God is calling me to plant a church in Paragould. That was in 2008. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know when that would be. But God, I was almost 100% certain that he was speaking to my heart. And he was saying, Jared, I want you to move back and I want you to start this church. And now looking back at that, I'm convinced more than ever that was God who was speaking to me in that moment. And the reason I share these stories is uh, it's not to brag on myself. In fact, I told Megan, uh, I said, I have a fear of sharing. I said, can I share these stories? Because I have a fear when I do that. It's like one of the rules of preaching, you should never try to make yourself like the hero of a story. It just seems like some sort of like a humble brag type thing. And and so I have a fear of that, that you're going to think and me sharing stories like this. And I'll share some more later that you, that maybe it'll come across like I'm trying to be more spiritual than I really am. Um, But please know my heart on this. Like the reason I share stories like this is not for you to think I'm impressive, but for you to know the Holy Spirit is impressive. Um, I, I want more than anything this morning to help you see that Jesus knew what he was talking about whenever he said, it is, quote, better that I go away because when I leave, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. What could be better than having Jesus right beside you? It's to have Jesus in you. It's to have his presence dwelling inside of you, loving you and speaking to you and guiding you and not just for your good, but for the good of others, for the sake of the mission, which again, Jesus said is to seek and save the lost. And this is what we see in Acts chapter eight. Um, we're going to dive into this together. And just to set the context for you, what's happening here in 8 is, is really, Acts chapter 8 is a very loud chapter. There's a ton going on. The early church has been scattered as a result of persecution. And here's what's incredible to me. Think about this. Despite the fact they have been told to either stop talking about Jesus or die, these ordinary men and these ordinary women choose risk over retreat. It says actually in Acts chapter 8 verse 4 that rather than going into hiding, if you look with me at Acts 8 verse 4, it says those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Like how amazing is that? There's no need for an evangelism series. There's no need to do a series on preach the gospel. These are people who had encountered the real resurrected Jesus and because their lives had been so radically transformed, because they had been filled with the spirit, even the threat of death could not stop them from preaching the gospel. And it's right in the middle of all of this noise and this action, we're introduced to this man named Philip who was led by the Holy Spirit. And here's what we read in verse 5. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. He proclaimed Jesus. Right? He's preaching the gospel. Verse 6, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and impure spirits came out many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And look at verse 8. I love this verse. So there was great joy in the city. I just want to stop right there and ask you this. Like, where are you looking for joy? Like, like what is it that, that you believe? If I could just have this, then I would be happy. Maybe for you it's a house, I don't know. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's money, maybe it's a better body, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's the ability to do what you want whenever you want. I don't know what it is for you, but my hope is that you will see that Jesus is not just someone who can bring you salvation, but he truly is the only one who can give you satisfaction. Like the real Jesus, the, 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 the counterfeit Jesus, kind of the religious Jesus, the Jesus, the Jesus junior that, that many of us have come accustomed to. He's weak, he's pitiful, he's unable to help you at all. 
But the real resurrected Jesus, man, I, I, I pray that you meet him and I pray that you realize that he's not just someone who can forgive your sins, but he can fulfill your soul. Like that's what we see happening right here in Samaria, the most least likely of places. Philip preaches the good news about Jesus and his kingdom, and as a result, joy is just flooding the city. In the following verses, Peter and John, they join Philip in Samaria. They pray that these new believers will receive the Holy Spirit. They know that you cannot pull off the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. So they pray for the Samaritans. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then skip down to verse 26. And this is where we'll pick up in our story that Heather read earlier. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, we don't know if this angel actually appeared in physical form uh, to Philip. We don't know if, if the angel spoke to him in an audible form or inaudible form. We don't know, like, if he received this message and he heard it with his ears or he just kind of felt it with his heart. But here's what we do know. Philip is 100% convinced at this point that God, through an angel, has delivered this message to him and has sent him on a heavenly direction from Jerusalem to Gaza. And what's amazing to me, again, is think about what's going on right now. Despite the persecution that is happening all around Philip, upon getting this direction from God in the very next verse, in verse 27, it says, so Philip started out. I don't know about you, but that's pretty convicting to me because there are many times in my life where God has spoken to me, whether it's been in my quiet time in the scriptures in the morning or through a sermon someone else is preaching or through nature or through another church member or simply just this gut feeling. There's times where God has spoken to me and rather than just starting out to where heading in the direction that God has told me to go, I've said, okay, God, actually let me think about this first. Or because I want to be spiritual, you know what I'll often say? Let me pray about this. Which is usually church language for let me spiritualize my disobedience. I know what God's called me to do, but if I tell you I'm going to pray about it, then what are you going to do, right? Because praying is spiritual, right? So it's like I'm just going to pray about this, even though I know what God has already told me to do. It's not the way Philip rose. God tells him, hey, this is where I want you to go. He gives Philip a direction, and Philip starts walking in that direction. He hears from God, and this incredible act of courage and faith and obedience, despite despite the fact he doesn't even have a clue what he's going to face in Gaza, it says Philip starts out. And while he's on on his way, what happens? Verse 27 says Philip comes across this Ethiopian eunuch. And a eunuch, by the way, is just a a chief treasurer of a wealthy kingdom. This eunuch is sitting in a chariot. He's been uh, in Jerusalem. He's now heading home, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And while he's reading, in verse 29, don't miss this, it says the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stand there. So what does Philip do? He goes to the chariot, and he stands there. And here's what I want you to think about. Philip doesn't have a clue what's going to happen when he does this. He's just being obedient to the Holy Spirit. He's just doing what the Spirit tells him to do in the real time, even though he doesn't see how this is going to play out beyond stay by the chariot. And so I don't know if the chariot's stuck in a traffic jam. I don't know if it's just moving slow, but, but here he is. He's standing by the chariot, and while standing there, he overhears this eunuch reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. In verse 30, he then says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Philip then leads the eunuch in a Bible study. He shows him how actually the prophet Isaiah is just pointing to Jesus. He preaches the gospel to him. The eunuch believes the gospel. He baptizes him. And then in verse 39, chapter 8, verse 39, look at this. 
It says, when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way, what? Rejoicing. You see this theme in Acts chapter eight? How do you know when the real Jesus has come to town? There's joy. There's joy. So there's all of this joy as a result of the gospel being preached. I mean, it's an incredible story and there's so much in here, but here's the main thing I want you to see today for our purposes together. In Acts chapter 8, the reason these people's lives are transformed is because of Philip's obedience to the Holy Spirit. For example, with the eunuch, Philip is just out doing his own thing. He didn't wake up that day and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go preach the gospel to a guy sitting in a chariot. Like, he doesn't do that. Like, like the eunuch was not on Philip's radar, but he was on God's radar. Like, God knew that he was going to save this man. And because Philip was listening to the Spirit's voice, because he was obedient to what the Spirit told him to do, God opened the door for Philip to preach the gospel, and as a result, this man's life would be changed forever. And see, the reality is, if we're going to be a people like Philip if we're going to be effective missionaries, if we're going to go out and actually preach the gospel in a way that we see lives transformed as a result, then there are two things I want us to take away from this story today. Two very simple but practical truths that we can take away and apply to our own lives. And the first thing that I want you to see is this. If you want to begin to see God move mightily in you and through you for the salvation of others, you must be open to spontaneous moments. Again, Philip had no idea that his day was going to look like this. He didn't have the eunuch on his calendar. This was a spontaneous moment, a moment, listen very carefully, that had been planned by God from eternity past, but was completely unplanned by Philip. Because Philip, though, had his ears open, because his heart was open, his schedule was open, his life was open, he was willing to take these unplanned steps and speak these unplanned words that change this man's life forever. He was open to spontaneous moments. Many of you have heard us talk about our um, relationships that we've been able to build with Muslims uh, over the last few years. Uh, refugees from Ethiopia who worship a different God than we do. And in our missional community, there's about 31 that we've been able to connect with. People that we've had around our own dinner table at night eating meals with us. People that we've shared the gospel with. People who have even come to church services like this to hear us proclaim the gospel. Some of them will even be joining us on Easter this year. And here's the thing. Um, all of that started because of a spontaneous moment. Many of you have heard this story, right? I'm driving down Court Street I'm coming back from one meeting, going to another meeting, and I see a woman, a Muslim woman, who's just walking down Court Street carrying groceries. And I thought, man, if there is anybody in our, our town that probably is afraid and feels alone, it's this woman. And, and, and I just, my heart was burdened for her, and I just felt God say, well, do something about it. Like, you go, and you build a relationship with her, and you let her know about my love. And so I didn't know what this looked like, and so I, I met with our missional community that night. We had a prayer meeting as a church, and, and we just prayed that God would open the door for us to meet this woman to minister to this woman. And so we have the prayer meeting and I go home and, and I get home and I get a call from a lady named Karen Spencer. Karen says, Pastor Jared, you don't know me, but I know you. I work with Real Relief. She said, you spoke at our church a couple of years ago. And here's the thing. We have a, a, a refugee, a woman from Ethiopia, a Muslim woman who has moved to Paragold. And we just want to know, is there any way by chance that you or people in your church would maybe want to be her case manager, that we could train y'all and then y'all could build a relationship with her and share Jesus with her? I was like, yes, that's exactly what we want. And so they came in, they did a training with us, and eventually were able to meet this woman, also her two boys, who she'd been separated from for eight years because of war from their, their hometown. 
And through this woman, we've now met all of these other Muslims that we have a relationship with. And here's the deal. I don't know what's going to come from this. I don't know if any of them will come to faith, but over the last three years, we have had the opportunity to plant seeds of the gospel in the hearts of Muslims that we would have never known if it was not for a spontaneous moment. As I prepared this message, I couldn't help but think about Brooke, who's now on our full-time staff. And Brooke is here and BJ's here because of a spontaneous moment. Some of you have heard that story. Like I was speaking at a medical clinic and I walked out and I was uh, about to go and my wife was in the van with, with, with our kid. We didn't have any other kid. I think Nora was born at the time. We didn't have any others born. But I'm going out and I see this woman who's just leaned up against a wall. And again, my heart was just broken for her. And I, I can't explain that. It's not that I'm just this overly compassionate dude, right? Like, but my heart's broken for her, and, and I just thought, man, that's, and it's just sad. And I kept walking, and I tell people, I felt like the Holy Spirit that moment when I kept walking was like, go out that door and just see what I do to you, you know? And so I'm like, okay. So like I walk back in. I get talking to this lady, come to find out she was an addict. She had lost her family. She'd been a cutter. Right? She was desperate. And I just said, you know, basically, hey, look, I'm about to have to go, but if you ever need anything at all, here's my phone number. Would you just call me? Two months after that, I get a call from the Green County Jail. She'd been arrested for smoking dope. And so she'd kept my number the whole time in her pocket. And so they gave, she gave the jailer my number. The jailer called me up there. I went with my Bible. And for 10 weeks, I went and met with this woman. Every week. I went there on Christmas Eve, took a Christmas card to her. And on Christmas Eve, she said, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. And so we prayed this prayer, and I'd had this vision whenever I met with this woman at first of like, you know, she's going to have her family restored, and her kids are going to come back. And I thought, like, okay, this is going to be awesome. So now she's giving her life to Jesus. Now this kind of vision is going to come to pass. She's going to get her life right. And so I go to our missional community, and I'm like, hey, you remember this, Lou? I'm like, let's all pull our money together. Let's bond this girl out, and then we're going to get in the Goppy house, and everything's going to be great. And so we all pulled our resources together. We get in the Goppy house. Two days later, she fled. She goes back to prison. And I was devastated. I'm like, oh, like I thought I heard from you on this, God. Like, how, how am I ever going to tell anybody again? Like, trust me, I've heard from the Lord. Bring your resources. Like, how am I going to do that? Well, a couple weeks later, a woman walks into our church who had met this girl that we had ministered to in the Agape house. And she said, man, like I was so touched by that story. I thought if I'm going to be a part of any church, even though I'm not from here, this is the church right here, the Crossing Church I want to be a part of. Her husband actually came to Christ in prison. He's like, I want to get the, our family back together, get our kids back together. And they're like, all right, let's do it right here in Paragold with this church, right? And that family is broken BJ. Like they're here and God has used them in an amazing way. And their story's not done. Like, like the, I mean, the best is still yet to come for them and what God's going to do in them and through them. But the reason they are here is because of a spontaneous moment. And my guess is as I share that, listen, if you're a control freak, that's really scary, because if you're a control freak, and by the way, I can tend to be one myself, so this is all grace on my life if, I, if I'm ever a part of these spontaneous moments. But if you're a control freak, you want to know every detail, don't you? It's like, God, I'll trust you if you will show me how this is all going to work out. And here's the thing, like, God's like, I'm just not going to do that. God is never going to let you live without faith. The one thing God wants you more than anything is for you to depend on him and trust him even when you have no idea how things are going to work out. Oftentimes God will tell you to take a step and he won't tell you what's going to happen after the step is taken. He just won't do it. I'll tell you, he's just not going to do it. And that's scary and it's not easy, especially if you're a control freak, right? Especially if you're like me and and I don't know about you, does anybody else in here ever give God deadlines? Anybody? Okay, I'm, I'm not the only one. I mean, there are times in my prayers, I'm like, God, you're the sovereign king of the universe. You rule it all. Now you have until Friday. <laughs> right? 
And some of you can relate to that, right? Hey, no judgment for me. But here's the thing, and please listen. If you will not release control to the Holy Spirit, you will not be led by the Holy Spirit. Because oftentimes the Spirit will work in ways that are planned by God, but unplanned by you. And there are times he's going to prompt you to do something that is hard, and it is scary, and it is completely not at all what you thought it was going to be. And if you're like, well, Jared, that all sounds good, but how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit asking me to do it? Like, okay, I would do this if I knew it was the Spirit calling me to do it. But how do I know? Is it the Spirit? Is it a voice in my head? Is it the tacos I ate last night? Like, how do I know? That's a good question. And I think you can answer that question by asking two more questions. And the first one is this. Is does the voice I hear line up with the Scriptures? Is the voice I hear... Right? And the thing that this voice is telling me to do, does it line up with the Bible? Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to marry someone who's not passionately following Jesus. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to cheat, will never tell you to lie. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to take a job that's going to pull you outside of church. And if you're like, Jared, how do you know any of that? Because it's in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever, ever ask you to do something that contradicts the word that he's already spoken. So does this line up with the scriptures? And then I think another question to ask is, does this moment produce the fruit of the Spirit? That's a great question. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If what you're doing causes you to hide, if it creates greed, anxiety, depression, impatience, rage, further addiction, unfaithfulness, it is not the Holy Spirit leading you. But if whatever you're sensing inside of you is producing the fruit of the Spirit, there's a good chance if it's doing that and line up with Scripture, then God is leading you. And here's the thing, man, like we don't have to overcomplicate this. It sounds so mysterious, and it's really not. It's so much more practical than we think it is. A couple of weeks ago, I was with Andy Runyon at the greatest restaurant the world has ever known, the Waffle House. And um, I don't do this often, but sometimes I do. I'm sitting there, our meal's about to come out, and man, God just highlights this waitress. And, and, and I just begin to feel a burden for her. Her name was Don. My heart broke for her. I never met this woman. I didn't know anything about her. My heart began to break for her. And so she came by and I just said, hey, is, is, um, can, I, can I pray for you? Is there anything you want prayer for? And she began to weep. And she said, I just found out that my father-in-law has stage four cancer. And she said, would you please pray for me? Can I stand here while you pray? And I was like, absolutely. And so we prayed for her dad, her father-in-law. And I don't know what's going. I don't know if God's going to heal him. I have no idea. But here's what I do know: in that moment, she got a chance to experience the love of God. She knew in that moment she was seen by God, and she got to experience that compassion. And she got a chance to be pointed to Jesus as as we were talking about Christ through our prayers. And, you know, it, it's it's moments like this at the Waffle House, like like we have to stop. Like, you know, there there. Let me say it like this. There are ideas that are going to be planted inside of your head that aren't your ideas. 
Like, and we've got to stop just calling them coincidental. Is this God? Is this not God? Like, there are ideas that God is going to put in your head. And if it lines up with the scripture, if it lines up with the character of God, it's producing the fruit of the spirit, then I want to encourage you to act on these moments, to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. And listen, know this, your responsibility is to respond to the Holy Spirit, not to change anyone's life. You don't have the power to change anybody's life. And so I want to encourage you, like even if you're rejected, even if you're humiliated, even if things don't turn out the way that you want, just be obedient. And if you are obedient, listen, that's the win. That's the win. No matter what happens at that point, your job is not to change lives. Your job is to be obedient, to respond to the the spontaneous kind of Holy Spirit led moments and know that with you do that you can trust God with the results. And guess what? If God is involved in all this, lives will be transformed. Now, sometimes it's your life. Sometimes it's just your life. God's going to do something in you in that. Sometimes it's the other person's life. Sometimes it's both. But lives, things will happen. They'll change. And that's the first thing we take away from this story. But then secondly and finally and much quicker, if you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, not only do you need to be open to spontaneous moments, but you have to have a sustained movement. And here's what I mean by that. The reason Philip was open to spontaneous moments for Jesus is because his life was marked by a sustained movement towards Jesus. The reason Philip was open to spontaneous moments for Jesus is because his life was marked by a sustained movement towards Jesus. In other words, Philip was the kind of man who really was reordering all of his life around the three goals of a disciple, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do what he did. In the words of Eugene Peterson, Philip was the kind of man who lived a long obedience in the same direction. And that a a great mark of a life, a long obedience in the same direction. In other words, long before Philip was obedient or walking in obedience to Gaza in the public eye, he was walking in obedience to Jesus in the private places of his life. And if we want to see the Spirit of God do the same move in us and, and through us for the sake of mission, the same must be true of us. If we want to be people led by the Holy Spirit, we must be committed to a sustained movement towards Jesus. And you're like, okay, Jerry, that sounds good, but how do we do that? How do I have a sustained movement towards Jesus? Guys, there's no tricks to it. It's things like reading your Bible daily, prayer, fasting, silence, solitude, confession, repentance, public worship, like what we're doing here, plugging into community. These are all ways that we continue to move towards Jesus. And for the record, let me just say this before I move on. Having a sustained movement towards Jesus doesn't mean you always get it right. And you just need to hear that. Like like having a sustained movement towards Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to fall. But what it does mean is that when you fall, you're going to get back up. And you're going to continue to move towards Jesus in the way of his kingdom. Philip was not a perfect man, but he was a man who had a sustained movement towards Jesus. And it's from out of that place, the Holy Spirit gave birth to these spontaneous moments that led to lives being changed. With that, you know, this is a practice in series. And so here's our practice for the week. It's pretty simple. Two questions I want to encourage you to ask yourself and to, to answer honestly, maybe even process with community, your DNA, your friends, your missional community. But the first question I want you to ask yourself is, do I have a sustained movement towards Jesus? And if not, what needs to change? When, uh, the question is not, have I been baptized? The question is not, are you serving in the church? The question is not, are you a member of the church? But do you, when you look at the private places of your life, have a sustained movement towards Jesus? Are you building your relationship, cultivating intimacy with Jesus? 
And then secondly, I want you to ask this question, ask the Spirit this question. Holy Spirit, is there anything that you're leading me to do this week for the sake of mission? Anything you're leading me to do this week for the sake of mission? And remember, whatever it is, it's going to line up with the Scriptures and it's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And here's just some examples of things he might be saying to you. I don't know for sure, but these are just some examples. As he might actually prompt you to eat a meal with a lost friend. He might tell you to go learn the names of your neighbors, which might be embarrassing for some of you. Some of you maybe live by the same people for years. You don't know their names. You just have to go up to this man and say, man, I apologize. I should have known this by now. I, didn't, I never caught your name, man. What's your name, right? I don't know. Like maybe he'll tell you to prayer walk your neighborhood. My wife and I have had great gospel conversations with people as a result of prayer walking our neighborhood. Maybe he'll tell you to start eating at the same restaurant over and over. I'll tell you right now, missionally, like being a regular somewhere is so underrated. Like being a regular is like 90% of living missionally, just showing up over and over and over and over and over in the same people's lives and looking for opportunities to share your faith. Um, Maybe he'll tell you to get to uh, know the story of a lost coworker. Hey, like, tell me about your life. Like, where'd you come from? How did you get here? Maybe he'll encourage you to share your own story, your own testimony. Maybe the Holy Spirit will put a burden on your heart to be a missional catalyst for your missional community. Maybe you've not been living on mission. You've not been outward focused and, and you kind of feel that burden and, and he might be burdening you to lead your missional community. Maybe he'll be telling you to start a missional community. We need more MCs and maybe he'll tell you to do that. Maybe he'll tell you this week, hey, start giving to the church. The reason that I'm able to preach the gospel for a living, the reason we can preach the gospel to your kids right now or the students on Wednesday, the reason that the gospel through our church is able to go throughout the world or able to support people like Tyler Mobley, who's one of our members, who's in Thailand right now, the reason we can do that stuff is because of money, because you give. That's one of the ways you help preach the gospel is by generously giving to the church. Or maybe it's something as simple as inviting a lost friend or family member to our Easter service on April 17th. I don't know what it may be, but here's the thing as we end. Listen, the invitation this week is simple. It is to open your ears, to open your heart, to open your schedule to what the Spirit might be calling you to do for the sake of mission. You know, my favorite line in this whole story, again, is that Philip started out. Spirit said, go this way, and Philip just started walking. Just started out. I don't know where I'm going, but the Spirit said to do it, so I'm going to do it. Man, I pray that'd be true of me, true of you, that we would be the kind of church, the kind of people that even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's going to be hard, even if it might be scary, even if it's a little risky when the Spirit prompts us for the sake of mission, that rather than making excuses, we'll just start out. We'll head in the right direction and trust that the Spirit knows better than we do on how to lead and manage our own lives. As I've thought about this story this past week, I can't help but think about how many people in our city are just like this eunuch. You know, he says to Philip, Philip says, you know what you're reading? He says, how can I unless somebody tells me? How am I going to know unless somebody tells me? There's so many people right now in our cities that are searching for answers. They're looking for hope. I met with a guy for lunch this past week um, who served in the Afghanistan war, Kuwait, was in Iraq. He's seen, a, he's seen a bunch of terrible, terrible, terrible stuff. And he's got a lot of questions. And he thought he had everything all figured out, but now he's hitting midlife and his life's unraveling. And he's looking for hope. And how's he going to know unless someone sits with him and helps give him an answer? 
What's incredible to me is that if we will just remain open to the Spirit's prompting and like Philip, God will direct us. Isn't it cool that the way God designed this is he's got an unstoppable mission, but he calls you to partner with him in order to pull it off. And if we will just pay attention, he will direct us, he will lead us to where he's already working, and you will get to become an answer to someone else's problem as you point them to Jesus. The one who, before he ever called us to go on mission for him, went on mission for us. My guess is a lot of us in here aren't great at having a sustained movement towards Jesus. Isn't it good news to know that even if you're not, that Jesus has a sustained movement towards you today? I don't know what you did last night. I don't know what you did this week. I know this. God's mercies are new every morning. That's good news. I know that God is gracious and he's merciful and he's forgiving. He's abounding in steadfast love. And right now, no matter what you've done, he's moving towards you with those things. With love and forgiveness and grace, mercy. And my hope is that you'll receive that. Because it's only whenever you receive his love poured out for you through Jesus can you then passionately, like the early church, even in the face of death, say, man, I want to go tell the people about this good news. And as we end today, as we do each week, that's where we want to focus our hearts. And so I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come forward. And as they get ready to lead us, those preparing communion can come forward as well. This is a tangible reminder, the fact that Jesus did go on mission for you, that he's continually moving towards you with grace and mercy, forgiveness, love. And so would you just be reminded of that truth today? We're going to have servers up here. They'll have gloves on and they'll tear off a piece of bread, which represents the perfect life of Jesus on your behalf. Dip in the juice, which represents Jesus' blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And if you're a Christian, you can come and you can file up here in just a moment, partake communion here. We also have disposable cups in the back. You can take it that way if you prefer. That's fine. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never trusted your life to the real, resurrected Jesus who brings a real, resilient joy no matter what storms come your way, that's never been true of you. Man, I pray today will be the day of salvation, that you'll trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you have questions about that, what it looks like, I would love to connect with you. I'll be up here in the front. We have members in our church who also would love to talk to you about that. And so just please don't leave without processing that with somebody. Um, I want to pray for us. And then after I pray, when you're ready, stand and uh, come forward, take communion. We'll sing one final song and then we'll be done. Father, I do thank you so much for those who are here I think you're right now. I get to stand by Brooke and BJ as they serve communion, just being reminded that, God, you do still speak to us. You've not left us. You didn't just write the Bible and like, leave it as a love letter and say, I'll see you when I get back. Like, You want to have a relationship with us. You want to talk. You want us to listen. You want us to commune with you. And so I just thank you for that reality that, that God, by your grace, that we can have a relationship with you, that we can know you. I pray if there's anybody here who does not have that relationship with you, that Holy Spirit right now, that you would just open their heart, open their mind, open their eyes to see there's more. That the joy they're looking for, the security, the satisfaction they're looking for is not found in anything under the sun, but it's found in the Son. It's found in you, Jesus. And I pray that you would help us all believe that truth more and more and more and more and that we would go and we proclaim it to others. And it's in Jesus' name I do ask this. Amen.